If you enjoy listening to Chorology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 59. When church is the place that we have to defend parts of ourselves or leave parts of ourselves outside of the doors, then we have to ask if that's church um, as God wanted it to be. Bailey Bronner is a pastor in the United Methodist Church where she pastors two communities in Alaska. She's a graduate of the School of Theology at Boston University, where she got her MDiv and a Certificate in Religion and Conflict Transformation. Uh, A lot of her work focuses around creating spiritual spaces for people who've experienced religious trauma, Uh, and she has a big passion for the intersection of church and pop culture, uh, and is working on rethinking and expanding traditional ideas of church and spirituality. Uh, and she also has a dog named Oakley, who is super cute. Um, <laughs> the mini Aussie doodle. Uh, we're talking about asexuality today, uh, which is a conversation that we probably should have had on this podcast a long time ago. Uh, so I will own that, that this conversation has been a long time coming. We're finally having it. Super excited about it. Hopefully it's the beginning of conversation, not the only one. Uh, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Bailey, hi, welcome. Hi, Matthias. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well also. It's like nice and early in Alaska right now, isn't it? 8 a.m. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for getting up for this. <laughs> uh, so to start, a question I ask everyone, uh, how do you identify and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Yeah, I identify um, as an asexual Christian cisgender woman. Um, and faith has helped me in a lot of ways, um, to form those identities. And I would also say that my identities have also helped to form and inform my faith too. Um, but one thing in particular I'm thinking of is that faith has kind of taught me that it's okay to, to question and to explore, um, within my identity. And so to not have to like, uh, reconcile parts of myself is a gift that, um, a gift that faith offers to me and I think to everybody. And it, I think it's also such an active thing. Like faith is so, is so alive and active if we're doing it right. Um, and so it's also an invitation to sort of speak out about who God created me and us all to be. And uh, kind of going back to the identities thing that speaking out kind of allows me to live out different layers of my identity in in an authentic way, whether it be um, gender or sexuality or whatever it is. Um, And yeah, and I think that is so needed and life-giving and uh, something that that faith very much offers to me in my life. You said not having to reconcile parts of yourself. Like, I feel like, I feel like so often we have the conversation about what it's like to, to reconcile faith and sexuality. Like, what do you mean by like not having to reconcile? I'm, I'm curious about that. It sounds like freedom. It does sound, it does sound like freedom. I think it is freedom too. Um, I think about the ways that we um, 
can kind of turn on or turn up the volume on different parts of identities at different times. And so depending on the context that we're in um, or the people that are around us. So like if I'm um, another identity that I take on and that I've taken on recently is pastor. And so um, I'm thinking if I walk into a sanctuary on Sunday morning, my identity is pastor. Um, and I think it's easy for us to think that we can't also hold the identities of, you know, queer person or woman or whatever it be um, at the same time. And so to to not have to reconcile to me means that we're able to hold the space um, for all of those parts of ourselves that we bring into a room each and every time, even if that one piece of the identity is not um, in the in the forefront necessarily at that particular time. So, so, I mean, so you mentioned that you're asexual. Um, I mean, there there may be some people who are listening who are like, I have no idea what that means, or like I've never heard anyone actually talk about this before because I think it's something like what we're episode. I think this is fifty eight, fifty nine. And haven't had this conversation yet, so, <laughs> which is probably more my fault. But it's a conversation that I don't feel like is had a whole lot. And I would, I would love to just start at some ground level, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, yeah. So I think, I mean, with any identity, we're going to have different definitions and people aren't going to um, take on parts of whatever the label is and all of that. But kind of a, a one-on-one definition, um, someone who's asexual is um, not sexually attracted to people of any gender. Um, it's sort of a baseline for that. And then within that definition, you get um, kind of layered things, like it's sort of an umbrella. So you might have something like um, demisexual, which is people who aren't sexually attracted to other people until they've um, established like a like an emotional bond or something like that. Um, but but yeah, sort of that... that um, the lack of sexual attraction is a huge uh, defining uh, place that, or a huge defining feature, I guess, of asexuality. Um, and I would say also in, in defining, we should also talk a little bit about what it's not. Um, Cause it's easy to, like you said, it's not talked about um, in queer spaces or in, I mean, the, the larger world in general. Um, so one thing that I would say is kind of misunderstood is that uh, there's this myth that asexual um, is the same as celibate. And especially when we're in Christian circles, that's an easy one to, um, that's an easy thing that we hear, right? You hear, oh, if you're not having sex, you must be celibate. And, um, and they kind of interchange those terms around, but asexuality is um, not something you can you can choose to be um whereas celibate is so straight people can be celibate um just as well and asexual people can be celibate but they aren't always and that doesn't change um who they are and then the other one i guess that i would say too is that um there's this um other myth or understanding that asexual people um like don't long for a relationship or don't long for uh even close um, bonds with people. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I had to learn, um, that there are different ways that we talk about attraction and there are different kinds of attraction. And so being asexual means a lack of sexual attraction, but it doesn't mean a lack of romantic attraction or, um, 
like sensual attraction or intellectual attraction. So there's all of these different uh, layers of attraction in our in our world, but oftentimes the sex part goes into the um, is kind of the the centerpiece of that of that idea of attraction and that I mean I don't know like media probably plays a huge part in that and um, other things too, but but yeah, just because somebody is asexual does not mean that they are also aromantic or um, lacks lacks um, a desire for connection or relationship with other people. I'm I'm curious about like how as so you're a pastor like how how do those two identities kind of intermix then? I'm still uh, pretty new. I started in July, so I'm really getting on the um, the pastor train full force and and seeing what it what it holds for me. And also, uh, I've got uh, two amazing churches that I um, pastor, and they're full of people with different um, ideas and and uh personalities and things too so sort of learning how to juggle that at the same time is is my current um project i guess you could say but uh for me it's there's just like a an interesting component um that comes with being part of the church um and also being part of the queer community um and being asexual puts me in kind of a unique position um i'm from the united methodist church um, and they are currently like having debates on, uh, what they call human sexuality, but, um, what to do with, uh, the queer people that exist in their community, in their denomination, um, is, is essentially the, the thing. Um, and so as a queer person, I, um, I have a certain set of ideals and understandings and, um, my family is a certain set of people. Um, but I also, as a pastor, um, have a responsibility to to kind of speak to that from the inside, and so I, in in terms of like church law, I'm technically allowed to be there because I'm not like having sex, like I'm not openly saying that I'm having sex with people of my same gender. Um, but as a member of the queer community, I challenge a lot of the ideals that the church currently holds. Um, on sexuality. So I find myself kind of inside and outside in a lot of different ways. And it's, um, it's, I think it's a powerful um, privilege that I have to, to kind of do that. And I'm excited to see how that, how that ends up working out and where it goes. Right. Because this is, I mean, in the United Methodist Church, a huge debate right now around sexuality. And, and so you're kind of in a place of where you can work from the inside and and it sounds like you're doing that. Like, tell me more about what's happening in the UMC church. There in 2016, well, I'll step back even further. Um, our our church law book, um, it's called the Book of Discipline, has some pretty um, homophobic, um, traumatic statements in it about uh, queer people. Um, they refer to... Um, the, the sort of defining factor for if you um, belong in this category or not is they say self-avowed and practicing homosexuals is the, the terminology, um, which that's why um, I'm kind of in a unique position because I am not, I would never refer to myself as this anyways, even if I was, but self-avowed practicing homosexual is not <laughs> an identifier that I would use for my, for my being, whatever. Um, but yeah, with that, they, um, they take that definition and then they say that 
folks who um, fall under that category cannot um, be married in the church or um, or be ordained in the denomination um, because the the people who are ordained need to uphold the highest standard of Christian teaching, I think is what the language is. Um, and so self-avowed practicing homosexuals do not do that according to the church. And so we've, this language got put in a while ago and it's been a conversation for the, every four years we hold a, a huge conference um, where everybody um, in the global church comes together and votes on things and, uh, worships together and all of this stuff. But um, in 2016, they had that general conference um, and there was, it was meant to be voted on to change the language. And uh, there was so much um, like protesting and opinions and going around uh, to try and uh, to try and like adapt what was happening. A lot of manipulation was happening on all sides Um that they called the special conference in 2019. And so for the past, um, or for these three years between, uh, 2016 and 2019, the church has, has formed this sort of committee, um, to come up with some solutions for what could happen going forward. And, um, it's just been this whole deal, but yeah, at the forefront of it, it's this debate on people's sex lives, um, which I just find like horrifying. Um, but also like, it's, it's kind of funny in a way because we in the church are so like, like we don't talk about sex. Like we just, it's like not, it's a taboo thing to talk about. Um, and like, if we are talking about it, it's these people can't have sex because they're not doing it the right way. Right. Or, um, they're, they're not having sex and that's the wrong way too. So, um, this, the church is good at both avoiding sex and also being overly involved in it. And so that's kind of um, what's happening in the Methodist church right now. So in 2019, um, in February, they will um, hopefully be able to vote on it and kind of see where we're at moving forward. I mean, all, like all of these, all, like so many churches are going through that same kind of pattern and it's just such a, a mess. <laughs> But so, but as an as an asexual person who's watching this all happen, I'd be curious, like, what kind of different perspective would you say that it gives you from someone who isn't asexual? Like, I would imagine that there's there's giftings and, and perspective that you hold uniquely because of who you are. I mean, job security is one is one thing, um, because, like I said, like I don't identify um, in a way that can um, get a complaint formed or formulated against me. Um, and that comes with a certain set of responsibility too, because it means that, um, if I can't be fired for, or have my credentials taken away or whatever, um, from the church, then I have probably more, um, more of a, uh, responsibility to speak up and to, uh, hold my, uh, queer siblings, um, in the space of the church where not all of them are welcomed. Um, and I'd also say that I have a, a strong connection to the queer community. I mean, because that's my family. Um, so belonging to this institution and being in love with it in a lot of ways, because this is the church that raised me and that, um, honored my call to ministry. And that is, um, 
listened for um, like God's work in my life and how that relates to the church, um, there's there's this uh, kind of falling in and out of love with the church thing that I have to hold um, as a member of the queer community who is welcomed in a way that not all queer people are welcomed in the church. I'm always curious about like, as we're talking to people who, who sit within these varying identities, um, who choose to be pastors uh, and choose to work within the very institution that I feel like can cause a lot of harm to queer people. What, brought you into the church and and why do you stay in it? Well, I would say that I did not choose to be a pastor because I, I could have probably, I think what one thing that I've heard when I was in seminary is that if there's anything you can possibly picture yourself doing um, instead of pastoral ministry, you should do that thing. Um, because for anybody, for straight people, even like it causes a lot of, um, it, it caused working in the church causes a lot of, um, a lot of your spiritual life to change and to evolve and to look differently. Um, So I have definitely accepted that call to ministry and to working in the local church. Um, And I also um, am doing my best to learn to fall in love with it. Um, And we're getting there. But when, when things like this are happening um, in the wider church, it makes me kind of question and wonder, um, why I do stay. And I do have that kind of, I do have that dialogue with myself a lot of the time. Um, And one thing that I just keep coming back to is that this place is this church, this institution is the place that um, brought me to know God in this deep and an awesome way that I do know God. Um, And my ultimate goal is not necessarily to work in the local church for the rest of my life, but is to create spaces um, that um, create spaces of spirituality for people who have been hurt by the church, who do have that trauma um, and the trauma that is, that is bigger than just, Oh, like church makes me uneasy. Like that trauma that uh, people are not even able to walk into a sanctuary because of the hurt that was, was done to them in the name of, um, this thing that people uh, called God um, to them. And so belonging to the church and staying in the church really is, is a way that I'm able to learn more about it and to one day um, kind of transforms what we know church to be um, like big, big C church um, to be um, to make it maybe hurt a little bit less for, for somebody. You, you said, you're doing your best to learn to fall in love with it. Um, and I'd be curious, like, what are you falling in love with right now? Right now, I am falling in love with the relationships that I have um, started to develop um, being a part of the local church. There's this um, immense privilege um, that comes with being a pastor in that people are willing to to share their stories with you. And they're willing to kind of like take some of those layers off that they um, are used to keeping on for, for some people in their life or for all the people in their life. And there's something just so like sacred and meaningful to me about the ability to just talk to people and to like see them as children of God and to um, just listen. And that, 
And that listening means so much to um, a lot of people, if not all people. I think we want to just be heard and be um, accepted as who we are. And that's one of the great things that I get to do as a pastor is is build those relationships and and help people um, see that they are a child of God. And that is that is all that matters to me at that point in that conversation. So that's one thing that I've uh, that I've fallen in love with um, from being since being in the in the church as a pastor. I have worked with clients in the past who are asexual, and and a part of a or I feel like a major theme of a lot of stories that I've heard is is this idea that there's something wrong with me for not being sexually attracted to or, or not having sexual attraction, and and I'm wondering for for maybe listeners or people who are who are realizing that about themselves, like, wait a second and wondering, like, is there something wrong with me? Is that a journey that you've been through in, in trying to figure all of that out? And and what would you have to say to people who are on that journey? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, there's nothing wrong with you um, for how you uh, desire to have sex or not desire to have sex or what that looks like for you. There's nothing wrong with you. I would say that first and foremost, um, my my journey sort of took place on the opposite side of that, um, thinking that there's something wrong with me. I thought there was something like extra good about me because I wasn't having this like sexual desire. So I'm growing up with this. Um, I grew up in the local church in my my home church was not um, it was pretty progressive and affirming. And I never got those messages of like, don't have sex before you're married or this like purity talk about like, oh, if you don't. Um, if your first kiss isn't on your wedding day, like it's not going to mean as much and blah, 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 that whole thing. Um, I didn't get those messages from my church, but I did get it from my friends who were part of other churches. Um, and there, uh, I sort of was under this impression that, oh, like they're all Christian. So if they're telling me that this is true, then it must be true. And so, um, entering my, like middle and high school years or whenever um, society tells you that you're supposed to be like automatically interested in, in sex and relationships. Um, I had this, this conception that was in the back of my mind of you're not going to have sex till you're married. And like, this is just how it works. Um, and I was finding that it was, it was not that hard for me to do. Like it wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't having like sexual thoughts about people or like wanting to have um, wanting to be like intimate in that way with people. And so from that, um, at the same time, hearing these things like, oh, you're going to struggle with this and it's going to be so hard. And like, you have to have faith that God's going to like, um, help you through this like horrible time or whatever. Um, I kept thinking to myself, like, wow, you're such a good Christian. Like you are not even struggling with this. Like you're just doing, like you're doing all the right things, like way to be pious, like all of these these kind of funny things. And then, um, of course, like hindsight is twenty twenty, And so now I recognize that as like, oh, that was like, you're like, you were asexual. You are asexual. Like that was what that was. Um, you didn't, you're not a great Christian because you don't want to have sex. Like that's not how it works. And you probably were a worse Christian than you thought you were because you were bragging about how great you were, like all of these things. And so that was sort of my journey into it. Um, and the kind of recognition of it wasn't something, um, I never really struggled with thinking that anything was 
was wrong with me necessarily or that I should change anything about myself. But hearing the language um, around asexuality helped me to know that I am not alone and helped me to know that like, oh, there's, there's a word for this. There's like a label that you can give yourself to help people understand who you are a little bit more and not have to deal as much with the, the kind of misunderstanding that so often comes with this sort of ambiguous um, sense of self when we're not able to say like, I am fill in the blank. It can be um, challenging for people to accept us and to know us as who we are. And so it was a really life-giving thing for me when I learned that language and when I uh, realized that that was something that more than just me experienced and that there was nothing wrong with me in that too. I, I mean, I would imagine to just be able to put language around it and names on it like that 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 was incredibly affirming so so i'm curious like i I would imagine like so for for those of us who who are like in the lgb kind of side of things where we do have sexual attraction like there there is kind of a set idea of what relationships look like um and, and sexuality plays into that regardless of what our ethics are around sexuality I would imagine, like, for you going into a relationship, you probably have different ideas and expectations for what a relationship will look like. And I'd be curious if you could maybe speak to some of, like, what what your particularity brings into relationship. And then maybe some of, like, this the struggle and the goodness that is in there. I think one thing that uh, is, is different um, about maybe my outlook on relationships or some, or maybe I'll just speak to my outlook on relationships um, is that it brings in, like I was talking about a little earlier, those different forms of attraction. Um, and those aren't things that are uh, unusual or, or unique to asexual people like, like that romantic attraction and intellectual attraction and whatever, like even, even like physical attraction. Um, but when you take the the sexual attraction out of there, I think it, it has um, given me permission to like know somebody in this in this deep way and not have to focus on um, for me as an asexual person it doesn't it doesn't put um, it opens up the the realities of what relationships entail um, for all people and when I don't have to worry about the uh, performing up to these like expectations of of sex all the time it really has, it, it's given me like a freedom to, um, to be myself in a relationship and to, um, communicate what I want and what I need in the same way that other people who are not asexual communicate what they want and they, and what they need, um, whether it be like sexually or, or otherwise. Um, so, so that's, I think that's a really, um, great thing that has come out of me understanding relationships, um, from the perspective of an asexual person. Um, and I would also add that being asexual does not mean that you don't have sex. There are asexual people who do have sex and there are either, there are also people, um, who identify as asexual who enjoy sex. Um, and I think how I would, how I understand it to be right now, um, in my own life is that the, if I were to be in in a relationship with somebody and, um, sex was something that that person desired, like that's a conversation um, that should happen anyways, right? About like how you want to, like how you want to do it. And like, like uh, 
the the levels of consent and the the ways that somebody feels loved. And if I were to be in a relationship where sex was something that the other person desired, um, my my kind of mindset goes to thinking that um, instead of like sex is this like physical act, like it's very much tied to emotion and to um, this feeling of closeness to me. And so um, kind of, it's been an interesting um, kind of experience thinking about relationships in that way and giving myself permission to not need to have sex in order to fulfill another person's um, uh, to fill another person, to fulfill another person's, um, wants if I don't have those, those, that same desire to do so. But it's also allowed me to play around with, um, how I experience closeness and, um, and intimacy in a relationship setting. Um, so it's opened a lot of doors, I think. Um, and I know myself better and I know what I want. And I also know what I won't, um, tolerate or enjoy, um, in that same, in that same light. I mean, it sounds like there's a level of communication that is almost forced or required that, I mean, it sounds like a a level of communication that we all should be having in our relationships. (laughs) Like, Regardless, you're kind of forced into it. It's nice to have all the, the cards out on the table, you know, and if I have, in a lot of ways, it's this kind of cool thing that I can pull out and say like, Hey, I'm asexual. So we're going to have to talk about sex. Like we're going to have to have this conversation rather than, um, assuming that we're all on the same page and we all want the same things. Um, it's, yeah, it's a really cool level of communication that, that you're right is, is kind of forced. Um, but is, is really like beautiful and meaningful too. In your particularity as a pastor, as an asexual person, um, having to communicate maybe a little bit more than a lot of us have to, what would you say you've learned about people? Like, that's a huge question, (laughs) but I'm asking it. So, (laughs) Um, well, I can tell you the meaning of life too, after I answer that. Perfect. Yes. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What I've learned about people, I think that a big learning that I've learned about people is that they're the dimensions of who people are is so layered and is so um, diverse and we can't make assumptions about people um, based on how they present themselves or based on how even like how they talk about um, who they're in relationship with, because you can get somebody who is um, who identifies as a woman who is attracted to another woman, but you don't know that that person is, um, is gay or is a lesbian or whatever you want to call them, um, because they could be asexual. They could be, um, you know, demisexual. They could be bisexual, like all of these different things. So we can't, when we think about people, one thing that I've learned is that we're not, we're, even if we put this label on that seems to fit for who this person or how this person identifies, it's not, enough to just keep it there. And we have to keep digging and keep having conversations. Um, and, uh, you know, learning the, the sides and the dimensions of spectrums and all of that sort of thing. Um, and that's, I've learned that from, um, having conversations in the church, having conversations with queer friends, um, with straight friends, all of those different places have allowed me to kind of open up and, and understand, 
how deep and complex and intricate identity really is. Yeah, like cuz cuz that idea of just because someone looks a certain way, like it presenting a certain way in a particular location. I I'm thinking especially of like like erasure, um bisexual erasure, asexual erasure, like and how how often we want to just put people into our boxes and keep them there. And it it sounds like you've learned, I mean even just from your own self and your own story that that we can't do that. Like just because someone looks a certain way doesn't mean they are that. And in a way like that, I mean, to, <laughs> to go super spiritual, like that sounds like a relationship with God too. We can't put God in boxes. And I'd be curious, like what have you learned about God too? I've never had to reconcile um, being queer and being a child of God, which is something that um, is uh I wouldn't say that's a super common thing that queer people um, have experienced, but my relationship with God has stayed this like constant um, like force of love and reminder to love people period um, through this whole process. And through me, um, I wouldn't say changing my identity, but evolving into an identity that I could um that I can put words to and that I could uh, have language to describe a little bit better. Um, so I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about um, how much I belong to God and how much, um, how much God's love for me will not change and has not changed uh, throughout me learning who I am and how, um, and how and who God created me to be through that. I love that, 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 like overwhelming love like and and i think how important that is for us to 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 live into um the flow of love that sounds so like woo woo but the flow of love in the world and, and how available it is to us like it's an incredibly powerful and profound thing one one thing that i've kind of realized um in this sort of evolution of recognizing God's um, depth of love for me and for, for all people is that I am allowed to separate or to take a step back from um, church when I'm thinking about God's love for me, because I know that um, I've experienced harm done in the name of God in the church. And, um, and that is not, love like that. It's just not at all. Like trauma is not something that, um, leads to love or that, um, is love in and of itself. Um, and I think that like church, if we're following church as like how I believe God intends for church to be like, we shouldn't, it should be the one place that we don't need to negotiate who we are. Um, and when church is the place that we have to defend parts of ourselves or leave parts of ourselves outside of the doors, then we have to ask if that's church um, as God wanted it to be. And in a lot of um, contexts, it's not. It's not how God allowed it to be. Um, and so giving myself permission to step back from that church model and to say like, okay, but what is like, what is the, where is like the, the love from God entering this picture or is it at all? And if it's not, then what can I do to kind of 
to bring it into a space where it should already be, but it's being pushed out by people who think that they are um, helping in some way that's just um, ends up being harmful and traumatic for other people. Yeah. Like that, that question, like, is, is, is this like, if, if I'm, if I have to leave parts of myself at the door, is this church as God wants it to be like, that's, that's huge. And it's a good question that all of us, I think, need to wrestle with and, and, and work on answering and, and the church itself needs to work on. Uh, Bailey, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a delight. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, how can people find you? Yeah, um, I am on all social medias at Bailey and Bronner, and I have um, a blog which is a little dated, but maybe will maybe this will inspire me to to write some more. Um, but you can find that um, on Twitter as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. To find out more about Bailey, be sure to follow her on Twitter at Bailey N Bronner. Bailey N as in November Bronner. Chorology is on Twitter and Instagram at Chorology Pod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Chorology is produced with support from Todd and Teresa Silver, Christian Hayes, and over 90 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support Chorology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. Another really easy way to support Chorology is by leaving a rating and a review. Do that right in your podcast app, or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com review, and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next week, y'all. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.